I'm Joe and Phil. In my book, The Adaptive Economy, and in this podcast, I'm exploring how our societies and political economy will change under the force of rapidly accelerating technologies and other trends. I convene the adaptive economy to help us explore these topics and make it accessible for everyone to take part in designing our future. We're at the start of a new decade so I would like to look out for the next 10. It's a departure from the usual format of this newsletter. Please enjoy it, comment, and forward this to friends. What do the next 10 years hold? Making predictions is complicated once we understand that the system we are trying to predict is a complex one, of interwoven forces that affect each other, each layering one atop the next. And that we don't have clarity of when certain technical breakthroughs will occur or how political forces will shape the implementation of technologies, or vice versa. Then presenting predictions as a list, a set of steps, in this case, 1 to 10, is necessarily a shallow representation of this dynamic system built up of feedback loops of uncertain gate. And then the prediction maker is faced with the next challenge. At what level of abstraction should one make predictions? At the atomic level of technological progress, the chips will get faster, the cost of genome sequencing will decline, or at a highly macro level that describes population aggregates. I think the mezzanine layer that sits between the micro and macro is most relevant for understanding how our lives will change. This is where things get complicated and where our social institutions, like cities, firms, industries, communities, exist, where, in short, we spend most of our time. Today, in the shadow of the climate threat, there is no guarantee of a naive direction of aggregate progress, the sort of simple analysis which merely tracks longer lifespans, larger populations, wealthier societies. Wealth and health are undisputable markers. In the last century we did pretty well on that basis, we increased global GDP per capita on a purchasing power parity basis 5.7 times while increasing the human population 4.1 times. A climate catastrophe could unpick that simple teleology and reverse it sharply. And, of course, values and beliefs change. The wealthiest societies in the world now have fewer children, absolute population levels are no longer a marker of bounty and power. The richest nations have lower birth rates, many with declining populations. One of the largest collective fictions we've engaged in, the nature and operation of the economy itself, is ripe to be unpicked. It will be clarified by new methods from science and social science that better help us understand the processes that underpin economic behavior and outcomes. This rethinking of economics will happen, given urgency by our collective experience at the sharp end of neoliberal, financialized economic thinking. Many of these dynamics will result in the transfer of power from one group to another, some equitably, some less so. I can't gauge accurately how willingly those transfers of power will occur. We do have some clear choices, forks in the road, up ahead. My suggestions for the shape of the next decade are based on what I consider a roughly optimistic reading of those choices. I'd welcome your comments, particularly from members, below. Climate change will be the dominant narrative. We will achieve global peak emissions this decade, as Michael Liebreich argues. I believe we can go further than. Renewables are cheaper than most forms of new fossil fuels and are getting progressively so, even when you add the costs of storage. Founders I meet are bringing the same entrepreneurial skill set that brought us Facebook, Google, and Amazon to the climate change problem, including those hard to decarbonize sectors like steel or chemicals. Governments, like the EU and the UK, have announced net-zero targets to be enshrined in law. And the financial markets are under pressure to better price in carbon risks, which will increase the financing costs of climate deleterious investments relative to clean ones. What we can't be certain of is how rapidly our climate is changing, 
something we discuss in this briefing call with one of the lead authors of the IPCC 1.5 Degrees Report, Professor Miles Allen. The speed of this change will determine how we shape our investments into urgent mitigations and disaster relief against sustained investing and shifting our energy mix. We'll probably need to do both. Addressing climate change will require a concerted effort of World War II scale, but a genuinely global one. During 2019, I had dozens of conversations in boardrooms, with public market investors, entrepreneurs, and venture capitalists which lasered in on the imperative to achieve net zero. So perhaps we have a chance to launch a modern-day Manhattan project to tackle climate breakdown. Our geopolitics will continue to fragment and this will result in more conflict. This is not merely a story about China's growing economic power and global influence, exporting its political capitalism and authoritarian capabilities through its technologies and across the One Belt, One Road initiative. Global geopolitics will need to factor a broader rise of Asia, India becoming the world's third-largest economy by 2030, closing in on a $10 trillion GDP. The world will comprise of three major blocks. The EU promotes a citizen-centric model, China a state-centered one. The U.S. lacks an up-to-date creed l'esprit, the American dream has got mired into the tar of social immobility and profit-at-all-costs companies, which puts off the young, the environmentally-minded, and even many financiers, see Trend 3, an inconsistent and unilateral foreign policy chafes capitals around the globe. America's status as the home of opportunity and the world's moral guardian is weaker than it was 20 years ago. Outside of those major blocks, there will be significant players whose alignment will be somewhat unclear including hypersonic Russia, Brexit Britain, the major African and Pacific economies. Lurking, demanding a seat at the table, are the major technology platforms, how will they play their cards? Critically, we'll need to ask where the forums for cooperation and mutual benefit will reside. Much of the benefit of the Internet derived from its widely available standards and global interoperability, as it starts to fragment into four, or more, Internets, Will we lose those benefits associated with openness and the democratization of technology? In what we have generally thought of as the West, we'll rethink the shape and purpose of our economies. We'll ask hard questions about rentier capitalism, which is the end state of the Fortis mass production model, the Friedman doctrine coupled with corporate capture, particularly of antitrust. Yes, neoliberalism will be put to bed. We may go as far as rethinking the purpose of our economies to sustainably deliver on the needs of its population, as some have suggested. We might break the simple linear division society encouraged by neoliberalism, markets which work and states which do the rest, each measured solely by their efficiency. Rather, we'll recognize the value that responsive states provide in creating a secure, kind, purposive substrate in which we can live our lives. Many states will rethink the social contract for a new world of work. They will also realize they need to take a more active role in directing investments in technology and shaping our societies. This will take the form of DARPA-like basic research, what economist Mariana Matsukato calls the mission-driven state. Smart nations will figure out how to do this while facilitating basic science and accelerating the entrepreneurial urge. We'll see the rise of new digital commons, economic institutions that are neither public nor private sector. Digital commons, such as data trusts, will be broadly fostered to ensure positive externalities and superlinear returns to aggregated resources are widely accessible to societies. A digital commons could hold aggregate health data for a population, such data being made available to researchers to develop novel treatments. Or cities could insist that private sector transport networks contribute transit data to a civic data commons for the broader benefit. We don't have many great examples of digital commons working at scale, but during the next decade, we'll learn how to set them up, govern them and reap the rewards. 
world trade will face a troika of headwinds. Geotechnical pressure is one, encouraging data localization or buying infrastructure from a native firm. Environmental concerns are another. The growing movement towards circularity, virtual working or local buying will strengthen. Finally, technology such as 3D printing, coupled with renewable energy, will reduce demand for ULCCs to crisscross the globe. The falling trade-to-GDP ratio has already seen demand for larger cargo ships move into retrograde, as overcapacity beckons. At the end of the coming decade, trade in raw materials and manufacturers will be lower relative to GDP than it is now. How will a decreasing relative reliance on trade impact international relations? Cities will become relatively more important. They will lead the charge to build the affordances of more sustainable livelihoods and tackle climate change. As much of citizens' well-being is determined at the city rather than the national level. As cities continue to be the engines of national economies, city governments will engage in robust debates with national ones over who controls what. As the rural-urban divide has been the most apparent schism in much of the politics in Europe and the U.S. in the past years, this will make for an interesting tension. As shopping malls and big-box retail fail, this land will be used for other purposes. In European-style cities with reasonably close suburbs, expect the development of more live work neighborhoods in a downtown office and retail areas. This decade will also see even more strongly integrated megalopolises, or city clusters, especially in China. Larger cities bring those superlinear benefits of greater innovation, but they also see non-linear increases in the incidence of public health problems. Growing cities in Africa and Asia may witness both health emergencies and resource, particularly water, shortages, the challenges of urbanization might prove fertile environments for innovation at the edge. We'll eat far less meat. Plant-based diets will become more popular. Artificially cultured meat will remain a novelty. The health benefits of plant-based diets together with their better energy footprint and cost basis will give them an advantage over lab-grown meats. The health benefits of plant-based diets will become more widely known, and not just because of this Netflix documentary. In the UK, in the first half of 2019, 3.6 meters fewer animals were eaten by 800,000 people. Where younger eaters go, so too will entrepreneurs, restaurateurs, food retailers and governments. The big tech companies, particularly Facebook, Google, and Amazon, will work aggressively to increase their footprint over the coming years. They will hoover up data wherever they can and use their balance sheets to expand into new arenas. These firms know that a regulatory settlement some kind of restriction on the scope and scale of their operations, is coming. By 2030, a complex patchwork of settlements in different geographies will govern the behaviors of these firms. New laws, particularly around the use of personal data, explicit and implied, may hurt their growth. AI will be everywhere, from our cheap microcontrollers to massive cloud infrastructure. Because of breakthroughs in semiconductors optimized for machine learning and the general availability of noisy intermediate-scale quantum computers, our economies will be able to call on millions or, perhaps, billions of times more compute on which to run potent algorithms. Optimization processes, routing and transit systems, renewable energy systems management, will benefit. Our computers will use machine vision, listening, path planning and robotics to build an increasingly accurate digital twin of the real world, and bringing smart, adaptive products into the real world. This, however, still won't be anything like the artificial general intelligence, because we'll still lack a good general theory of intelligence. Deep learning approaches, which drove the AI investment wave of the last decade, will be supplemented by other techniques, including symbolic approaches. During the 2020s there will be a generational shift. Those in their mid-40s, 
who enjoyed their college years with the internet and careers with international colleagues from a young age, will graduate to be global leaders. The divisional work of large firms will be handled by those in their 30s today, a generation of the internet, a group that understands how the internet enables individual creators, self-organization and innovation. The agitators and the creators of our economy for the next decade are between 15 and 25 now. They grew up with a smartphone. The arrival of these younger cohorts into positions of power will shape the world deeply. As The Economist pointed out, generational replacement is what shifts public opinion.